and welcome to another episode of The Work Podcast. I'm Gina Kelly, and I co-host this podcast with my longstanding colleague, John Sumser. We are delighted to welcome today's guest. Um, she is always a joy. I believe somehow she's related to Sunshine, but she'll have to tell us about that. Her name is Tracy Parsons. Tracy is um, known in the industry, of course, as uh, the voice of the candidate researcher. But more important, I think it's important uh, that all of our listeners know that she's also CEO of a very successful software company called WorkDrive. So Tracy, please say hi and uh, tell us a bit about WorkDrive as well as your work in the voice of the candidate research. Thank you. That is a lovely introduction, Jean. And by the way, I guess I never realized what a completely amazing radio voice you have. Like that was just, I was like, I was just taken aback by the whole thing. Um, so the work that the work that I've done and in, in throughout my career has always been about empowering uh, talent and, and helping, helping employers uh, see the world a little bit more through employees and workers lens. Um, so the voice of the candidate research has been going on for about a year um, under under our consulting company, Parsons Strategic Consulting, and that have that has I fundamentally believe changed the changed the conversation in a number of different ways. And so I'm internally grateful for Pando Logic for partnering with us on that to really absolutely listen to what job seekers are saying about the experience, right? What they need, what they want, because if we start listening you know, then we can take action on that. Um, and then the other, that that kind of ended up morphing its way into um, WorkDrive, which is a talent mobility um, platform designed to empower your employees and make it easy for them to stay, right? So it's, it, there's, a, there's this common thread uh, throughout my career is like, we have to, if we don't address the needs of the workforce of the candidates, we're never going to get the work done. So, so why don't we listen to these people? They're they're kind of important, aren't they? I mean, we need we need job candidates, and we certainly need workers. So, why have we historically ignored them in terms of what really motivates them to be engaged at work? Gene, if I knew, I wouldn't have a job anymore. But <laughs> well, it's good someone's on this journey, though, because we right. need you. <laughs> well, and I think I think that there's I think that there's a couple of a couple of reasons. I think that ego plays a significant role in all of this. Um, there's a little bit of hubris when it comes to talent um, across the board. Like anybody that's re been recruited or 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 worked in worked in the space where they've hired somebody, they think, oh, I know how to do recruiting, or or I've been a candidate, so I know how this works. And mm -hmm. um, or, you know, all of this is just everybody is very, very closed off to that. And then I believe it was uh, you guys call me on this one because you'll know better than me. But I want to say it was in the 90s, early 2000s. Somebody decided the war for talent was the marketing term. Right? Oh, like gosh, the, I know. Right? And, and I loathe it. And, and I it, it so the yeah. whole it was like so cringe. And um, because this became such a good talking point, it became more and more adversarial. And I was doing a little bit of history um, research for a talk that I gave a couple of years ago. I'm like, well, how did this happen? Right. Because, because typically in the, you know, earliest days of work, when you needed somebody to work for you, that wasn't your family member, right. You'd probably talk to them in town, right. There would be a conversation. Hey, I need an apprentice blacksmith. You know, Jimmy seems to be cut out for that or what have you, right? There would be these conversations that would happen very personally and very locally. Um, 
And then we got into, okay, we're going to slap a sign in the window, help wanted. And then everything has kind of escalated from there. And we keep getting farther and farther away from the humans that we need to work with. Right. And so I, I don't know the total evolution, but I believe that it got worse when we started talking about war. Um, and then war implicit, you know, implies power. Um, yeah. and, and we constantly are in this balance. Job seekers are in the driver's seat. Employers are in the driver's seat. I'm like, look, y'all, there is no driver's seat. We are all in the same bus trying to get to the same place. This is a symbiosis and it doesn't work if we don't work together. Right, right. And if we make it, you know, that you so binary that you either win or you lose. Right then everyone loses. I, I agree with you. John, you and I were both around at the beginning of the war. Same season. Yeah. <laughs> and we will have to talk about our, our respectful, uh, re respective uh, Grateful Dead uh, concert attendance. But all of that aside, John, what are your what are your thoughts on this war for talent? Is that where we all went off the tracks? Um, the war for talent is a um, shorthand for a fundamental demographic change that happened right and so so the um the advent of reproductive technology and the um increasing level of education of women around the world has created a shift in the way the population is structured and that shift in the way the population is structured means that the kinds of people who you can hire to work in your company are different than the kinds of people who you used to be able to hire for work in your company. And so, so the war for talent stuff is shorthand for a pretty seismic change in the relationship between people and work that is demographic in nature. And, and everywhere across the globe, the workforce is getting older. It's getting more female. It's getting browner. It's getting all of the things that it wasn't 25 or 30 years ago. And uh, to call it a war is to mischaracterize what it is. But the problems associated with finding people to hire have to do with uh, population, right? And, and the game is very different if you're the employer than it is if you're the person looking for work. So it's been the case for a century that um, employers view their sources of talent differently than candidates view their access to jobs, right? This is just this a two-faced marketplace, and there isn't a single consolidated answer to it because candidates see one side of the coin, employers see the other side of the coin. It's the same coin. But when these guys talk about it, it's heads. And when these guys talk about it, it's tails. And, and um, that gets obscured when you treat the process like it's a competition. So. Yeah. John, you're, you're spot on because that's what we found in our in our first go at the Voice of the Candidate research, right? And when I when I embarked on this, and I've done this type of research before, basically it is a broad scale social listening. So anything that was posted publicly on the internet about specific keywords and phrases, we can digest all of that information and look for look for threads, right? And look for trends. And um, you know, 68 million conversations happened in 2021 around the candidate experience. So looking for a jobs, all these things that we that we all 
talk about. And when I first did the research, I was like, oh, I wonder what they think about nurturing. Like, do they feel like they're being nurtured or do you think they're marketed to? They have no freaking idea what I was talking about. There was no conversation around that. And what we found was, is that they don't know we're not speaking the same language. So to your early, to your point, two sides of the same coin, we're not talking the same language. And I think because we're not speaking the same language, we're not able to listen to the other side. But what I found in repulling the data of the following year is that the conversation shifted. So the conversation was really big um, when it came to like job search and looking for a job and needing a new job and all those things at the top. It really went, it really shrunk at the top part of the experience and went heavier to the end part of the experience. So more people were talking about offer and start because they were they're they're getting the language a little bit more. And I think we're also as an industry working harder to educate them on actually what happens in a hiring process because we haven't we haven't done that before and we really haven't had to. And now we kind of have to. Yeah, I mean, unless you're changing jobs every six months, this is not necessarily intuitive. No. But I want to go back to nurturing because you know that's that's uh, as a marketer, right? Um, uh, that's a word that you know we love, and and that feels like that creates this marvelous emotional connection. And um, what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, is um, job seekers are looking at this more transactionally. That that it's like, hey, I, I need a job. Here's what I have to do to get the job. Or are they really like out there saying, I want to be nurtured yes, by my I'm employer? They're not. Um, they're not saying that at all because we looked at talent community, we looked at talent network, we looked at all those things that we talk about, those mm-hmm. buzzwords and that mid part of the funnel. And none of that is none of that is getting through uh, to talent. They have no idea despite seeing it all over uh, the place. But what I think that we oftentimes confuse uh, are two things, um, need and want. Right. So nobody really wants a job, but they need money. <laughs> I, I hate to be, I hate to be the one to make it so bonehead common sense. No, no. I you know it takes you years to learn this, by the way, that but, it's OK and, to and, want and, money, to need money, but not want the job. <laughs> Right. If only and people would send checks for no reason. If they could just, you know, if I could just get some, <laughs> get some annualized recurring revenue on existing, exactly. that would yeah. be great. So I could um, go to the beach or go I have could, my nails done or something. Yeah. The, the number of the number of social posts around why can't I just lay on the beach or why can't I just pet my dog? Why do I need a job? I just right. want to exist and have a happy life. There are a lot of those conversations. So, so it's you know people don't and and this whole notion of nobody wants to work is not necessarily true, uh, but it is true at the same time, right? That people, people need money, so they have to have jobs to do that. Um, and it's sometimes we forget that. Like I, I tell a lot of people all the time, you guys are literally marketing a Mercedes Benz G-Wagon when a Subaru will do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? You do not have to oversell this audience on a roll at your company. They certainly know that you are paying them to come. It is not a surprise, right? It is not a shocker that they're going to be paid to show up. At the same time, you know, stop saying that it's just such a fun family. By the way, family is getting crushed on TikTok right now. Really? Tell me. Oh, I want to know why. 
because they, it is a huge red flag to job seekers. Yeah. If companies are talking so. about like, yeah. oh, come, we are, we are a family. Okay, I don't know about y'all, but most families that I've come in contact with and come from are, are quite dysfunctional. Yes, and I don't, I don't 100%. Want, I mean, I love yeah. my parents. Right. I love my sibling, but oh no, no, no I don't need really another do, whole set I don't of need that. extra. No. I don't need extra. <laughs> so it's, it's, I see a lot of TikToks in the past two months around, you know, red flag, family, red flag. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. John, what do you think of, of the workforce as your, as your family? <laughs> <laughs> We're lucky John didn't have coffee in his mouth when I just that was that nearly question. a spit take, everybody. That was nearly a spit take. I wanted to, we got to call that out. Doesn't work for you, huh? Well, you, you know, there's no, there are no absolutes at work and there are no absolutes in recruiting. And yes. so, so there's, there's, there are, one of my favorite books is called 11 American Nations, um, and it's about the cultures of the United States um, um, and how they're different from each other. And so some of the cultures have incredibly deep family ideation as the heart of the culture. Boston comes to mind. Um, and some of the cultures have um, other things like um, the the culture around Charleston, which is the slave trading culture, is more about hierarchy. And the Jeffersonian culture in Delmarva is more about the relationship between the king and the king's subjects. Um, the New York Dutch culture is a mercantile, right? Mm-hmm. And so in each of these settings... Yeah. Each of these settings, the role of family is different and the model of family is different. So I find a lot of companies that are quite successful in Boston um, that have a family orientation to them. Um, And it is extraordinary because of the social net that the company creates. It's not come and be pals at work, it's if you're in a jam, the company goes to extra lengths to take care of you. That's that's what family means there. It's more of a more of a, you know, in in Boston, the culture is that redemption comes from the community, where in the South redemption redemption comes from the individual. And so so if you're dependent on the community for redemption, then the community has its set of obligations to you, and that manifests in Boston-based businesses. Um, so, so I don't think there—I don't think there's a big generalization you can make here. I don't like working in family businesses, <laughs> not even—not even a little bit. Um, but I know people who do. I know mm-hmm. people who think who think it's a great way to work, and. Um, Family businesses can be a good deal more forgiving about um, uh, the way that people work together. Well, you know, so I'm going to take us in another direction. 
I'm not sure I agree with you, by the way, John, but that's a conversation for a whole <laughs> other episode. Um, I just want to know what all the books John reads. Like, I, I don't oh, yeah, the, I know the myriad I know. of the yeah. myriad of information You'll, that he comes to the I table know. with is never yeah. is, is mind blowing. But I proceed. just wrote down the name of the book because I have to look it up on Amazon now. This is what happens every time I talk to this man. I want another, up with another book. book. <laughs> um, I want to, so we've talked about, you know, what job candidates, what, what the dynamic is there, but it occurs to me, especially when I'm reading these horrendous news reports about how, oops, we overhired. So now we're shedding 15% of our workforce, like, like as if these people are disposable, um, which of course, when I was in that type of corporate environment, that was a signal to me to get off the ship. Like it was then really hard for me to stay if those were the kinds of messages that were were being sent. What are our concerns about retaining and developing employees? Because I also see McKinsey research that says, if you're not developing me as an employee, I'm out of here. Like that's my expectation. It's not just that paycheck. It's that you're going to spend some time, um, you know, offering me opportunity. Oh, my gosh. So this is, this goes, this time for me ties the whole thing together, right? We keep putting forth and we meaning humans, not me, not my company, all of us, there is just litany McKinsey, all this information out there that is telling us exactly what the humans want. It's, they're telling us exactly what they want. And there are ways that we could give it to them. And in moments, I feel like we are either making a willful choice to ignore that wish, or we just are kind of paralyzed out of, out of concern, right? Like I don't, I've talked to a litany of HRTA talent management leaders over the last 15 years, right? And even when you tell them, this is actually what your people want and you could deliver it, they always, there's one of two responses. One, then let's do it, right? And they, and guess what? It works. It works, see, yeah. It, guess what? It works. Like yeah. the, the moment that they take action and it works because they commit to that action and they they commit to making it good, right? So there's there's this commitment that happens. That's one way. The other one is just, I don't want to have a difficult conversation with people about changing how we do so the change management right. issue. Right. Yeah. I don't want I don't want to talk to my managers to say you might lose people from your team if we give them what they want. And I inevitably say they're they're going to lose them anyway. Every, every single time you, if they're they're going you're going to lose them anyway. They just told you that I'll stay if you do these things, but if you don't, I'm going to leave. And then when I say okay, but they're going to lose them anyway, they're like, yeah, but they don't see it that way. So I think that there's either a choice to do something and act or absolute will for ignorance on the business, on the side of the business. And what's interesting is it goes back to like, I, I have I have one shining parenting moment um, in my life. And it was, it was, my son was seven and he was like in the midst of baseball and he was, he was not doing as well as he wanted to. And he was like, I really, I want to be good at baseball. And I, I told him, I was like, okay, well, here's the thing. I, I it, it relates to, uh, me telling you what the secret to, to life is, Owen, oh, and, and um, 
And, but I don't think you're ready to hear it. And I, I think I made him wait a good solid 48 hours before, like, and he would come back to me like every couple hours. Am I ready now? Like, am I ready Aww. to hear the secret? I'm like, I don't <laughs> think you're ready. And so I made him wait a couple of days and I leaned in real close and I was like, the secret of life is deciding. That's it. Yes, exactly. The secret of life is deciding. And once you decide, then you must commit. Right. So I hear what you're saying about baseball. You have to decide that you want to be good at baseball and then you have to put in the work. Mm -hmm. You have to put in all the work. It takes commitment. It takes hours of practice. It takes this is your sole focus because you have decided that that's what you want. And you will see these companies that have executed against the secret of life of deciding that retaining their employees is important. So they are going to commit and act and roll things out, even if it's uncomfortable for the other people in the organization who may be awkwardly uh, uncomfortable with, but they might leave. Yeah, they're going to leave anyway, right? So it is that it is that secret of life moment that these organizations are being faced with, and it's not going anywhere. Last year, turnover cost U.S. businesses $2.4 trillion. Oh, my gosh. It is an enormous financial impact that we are deciding to either make a choice and do something about that trillion dollar number or put our collective heads in the sand and not. So, so I'm going to push back a little bit. Please here. do. Um, when you say attrition costs businesses two and a quarter million dollars, you're saying that people are property and the loss of the property is expensive. And I want to be sure that you understand that people are not property. No. And, the, and that that um, that loss is grossly overstated. It's grossly overstated. Um, there's a natural flow of people in and out of companies, and that natural flow of people in and out of companies is like the rain. You know, it's not it's not it's not something that you can put a stopper in and say, there it is, and we can recapture all of that money. There are some unhealthy businesses that attrit people more rapidly than some healthy businesses. And there are businesses that accumulate errors in hiring over time because recruiting doesn't work very well. And so there's a bunch of reasons that people leave. There's a bunch of reasons that people leave. And a lot of them are really good reasons and they should go. Right. The I don't the, disagree with any of that. I do, I do not believe that it is an inflated number. I can t- I can walk you through the math at some point, um, but we went low on all of our estimates. I also agree with you that people are not property, but they are a line item on somebody's budget. I guess I'm also thinking, you know, if you're not offering them opportunity as their current employer, and that's what motivates them, you know, why are you not offering them opportunity if someone else is offering them opportunity. It's kind of like moving. You know, if you've ever had to, one one time in my life, I did nine corporate reloads in 11 years. It's incredibly disruptive and stressful. And it really isn't as cathartic as, you know, people would have you think. But, you know, like if you had the option not to have to deal with all that change, wouldn't it be better to stay where you are and grow, kind of bloom where you're planted? Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I'm, I know people cycle in and out of jobs, but yes. what if what if people stayed an extra year? What would that potentially mean to a business if you could measure that and see see what that how that would impact productivity and morale? Yeah, so, and so, go ahead, John. So, so part of the question here is is really getting a grip on the job transition statistics, mm-hmm. right? The sixty percent of job changes happen for people who are under thirty five, right? the vast majority of movement of people in jobs is as people are finding their place in the workforce. And the way that you find your place in the workforce is you try stuff and you don't always like it. Um, And no amount of opportunity in a job that you don't like is going to keep you there. And if you're dealing with a young segment of the population, yeah, opportunity may not be what they're after. Um, Right now, now as you get older and you have kids and a mortgage and all that stuff, the average tenure of people in jobs out in the older demographics is way higher, way higher. So people between 35 and 45 keep their jobs seven to 10 years and people over 55 never leave. Um, <laughs> okay, that was it feels like a direct hit. I feel it I feel attacked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so but let me let me put this in, let me put this into an analogy that that I I do I I'm agreeing with everything that you all are saying, but I to the earliest thing you said, John, none of this is binary, right? Uh, Gene, you, you said this is not a ones and zeros moment, mm-hmm. right? So for example, if I am, I have this, I have this um, amazing woman that I worked with and she was very early on in her career and she was trying on different roles, right? She was looking at different things. And sometimes that made her have to leave one company and go to another company because there was no opportunity for her. And to your point, John, that is completely natural, normal, and, and what have you. But there were a number of uh, companies that she worked with that when she started, they presented her, and I, I always use this analogy, um, here's your green dress, right? And we're, we're hopeful that you're going to look good and green and it's going to fit you. And But here's your green dress, right? And, and just wear this beautiful green dress for the next year, right? And the next two years. And then at some point she's like, well, I mean, I might like a hat, could I get a hat for this great? Like, could I maybe change the shoes a little bit? Maybe get some some uh, some jewelry to go with it. I think that's what people are like. Yes, and sometimes she might be like, "This is not my color. I gotta go." Right? I think what people are interested in, and and I'm still I'm still seeing this take place in our own work drive data, is that mo- moving around in a company is exactly what you're talking about, John. Sometimes it's just over, right? It doesn't have to be up. Um, sometimes it might be, hey, I've developed this 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 skill over here. I've been working on this thing, and now I'm really passionate about it. Is there a place for me? And this is the perfect story. This 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 woman that I worked with, um, she she was amazing in her green dress, and she got really passionate about mentorship. And her company allowed her to stand up a mentorship program within the organization. They're like, here you go, here's your mentorship hat, some jewelry, nice shoes to go with it. And she got to take advantage of that passion project get a little bit more income out of it and take those skills and learn from it. And then she was ready to go into another role that they didn't have an opportunity for her, right? So I think that there's a lot of that that we're not programming for or listening for yeah, we're not tapping or allowing into it. for. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. We're just the, the problem that I do see in this, and maybe this is, you know, John, this might ruffle your feathers a little bit. We tend to see people as one dimensional in this box. Right. So I, and, and this is one of my favorite things to tell people. I am known in the industry as the recruitment marketing lady, right? Like that's what she does. She knows recruitment marketing really good. She's, she's employer brand. She's been doing this stuff since the late 1900s, as her kid would say. And, uh, and, and this is, you know, um, the thing that she knows, but what you might not know is that I'm kind of a badass front end programmer. And if I wanted to change careers, I could go get a job pretty much at any company because I've been doing CSS, HTML, front end programming, UX design, for 15 years if I wanted to change careers. Most people don't know that about me, but if they did, that might make me look a little differently. Oh, that's well interesting. I didn't think about you in that way. So I think that there are these, these we, get it, we get an employee in, we look at them at that snapshot in time of how they started. We don't give them much opportunity to grow. And if we do give them opportunity to grow, we don't promote it very frequently and we leave it to them to figure out. And frankly, they don't know how to figure it out. They get frustrated and they respond to LinkedIn invites from recruiters. I think I think you're largely right. It's it's not very easy to ruffle my feathers, actually. Um, you're, you're Challenge largely, accepted. I'm kidding. No, go go for it. That, that would be really fun. We don't uh, have enough time left, guys. I'm sorry. So. so, so the, there's an idea that that is still in the nascent stages that the actual job of the first level supervisor is to ensure that um, her employees are successful and that they get their next opportunity as fast as they can. The problem with the model is that your next best opportunity may be somewhere else. Correct. Uh, right. And yes. so, but if you're if you are making talent move through the organization onto their next best opportunity all the time, you're actually going to have an active hand in attrition rather than having a sort of a guaranteed stable, we're going to, we're going to do retention. It may be that the best place for everybody in your company to go is somewhere else. And that's good for you because that creates a vacuum of people who can come in because everybody wants to be from a great place to be from. Um, yep. And that it, kind of thinking is still hard to find, but it exists yeah. in pockets. They teach it, it at MIT and they teach it at Lehigh. And and they do. And I think it's, it's, I think it's the path forward, right? If we're being honest, it's the path forward. And what the hope would be, right? The hope would be great if we are, if we are flowing amazing talent into our organization and out of our organization, and we've left them better than when they started with us. If we have an opportunity, we might be able to bring them back. That's right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one yeah. of the things that I keep hearing. That's exciting like, too. That's exciting. Right. Yeah. Go spread your wings. Right. Go learn. Get more things. experiences. Yes. And then bring more all skills. <laughs> 
and then bring all of that magic back to us. Right. So I, I think that, I think that one of the keys for me is that we have to stop looking at all of, all of the, the industry and the work that we do as snapshots, right? Like everything is just kind of a snapshot in time. This job is a snapshot in time. This person is a snapshot in time and all of it is organic. Like people are multidimensional work is multidimensional. Um, you know, it's because we work with other humans and we work with customers and we work with people, um, you know, very few jobs. Well, that's not true. Lots of jobs. Um, but it's, it's not, it's not single dimensional, right? It's, it's, it's rich. It's lively. So, so the next thing I think, I think you might be just right on time in the market, right? If we, if we suffer inflation, Mm -hmm. um, which it looks like we're going to, then it'll be the case that the best way to get ahead in your company is by leaving and coming back. Um, that's what happens when, you know, we've had this very stable economic environment for 20 years. And that's led to a lot of the kinds of problems that you're talking about in a, um, in a more vibrant economy, meaning the currency is fluctuating fairly rapidly. And in order to stay ahead, you have to move around a little bit more. Um, um, the kinds of thinking that you're doing will really start to pan out for companies. So, so you might be able to be on the wave this time with this. Yeah, idea. yeah, it is. And it's one of the things that we were just talking about with uh, a customer, John, was the idea of how do we, again, to, to, to everybody's point, like some, some areas of a business are, are shrinking, right? Some areas of a business are, can't hire people fast enough. How are we redeploying our workforce? Right. Like, how are we how are we helping people move around if they're going to be if they're going to be eliminated? Are there opportunities for them to do exactly that right. role somewhere else? Like, is right. there a way to redistribute the workforce right. in an automated way, in a way that keeps that institutional knowledge? And to your point, the people that are going to exit are going to exit. And that's OK. But we again, if we if we if we let them go better off than where they started, we win. Cool. Sounds like you're having fun. I uh, I do I do tend to have a little fun um, because I figure what's the point if you're going to do something you might as well have fun with it. It shouldn't be shouldn't be a slog. That's a much better way to look at life. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're at time. We're out of time. We're oh, going to have to have Tracy back though because this is um, I'm sure that given how dynamic the conditions are that we're operating under right now in terms of the the labor models, economic indicators, uh, you know, overall sentiment, um, this crazy world, uh, I bet the picture shifts again in six months' time. So, so Tracy, pencil us in. This is like a dentist appointment, okay? <laughs> Consider it done. There you go. Um, please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. Absolutely. Um, you can email me at Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y at WorkDrive, W-O-R-Q-D-R-I-V-E.com. I am on LinkedIn, again, with the Tracy with an E-Y, uh, Parsons, and it, my tag is Bringer of Sunshine. And um, I am on Twitter at that Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y, that Tracy. 
not the other Tracy. Thank you. I was gonna, I was going to say clearly there is another Tracy, but we have established which one we want to be talking. I'm to. that Tracy. That Tracy. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. well, thank you so much for joining us today. This is the work, a podcast about work, and I'm Gina Kelly with my co-host John Sumser and Tracy Parsons. Thank you for being our guest today. Thanks, thank Tracy. Thank you so much.